We'll grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6 for the reading of our text this morning. We'll be in verse 19, and I'll be reading through verse 24. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, that's our gift to you this morning. Take that with you. Fall in love with Christ through the Scriptures. Amen? All right, when you get to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, say, He is a good Father. All right, upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with thanks be to God. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We're glad that you're here, and now we know those of you who love Jesus more than deer hunting this morning. So I'm teasing. I'm teasing, okay? I'm teasing. We pray for our hunters and hope for safety and everything like that. But kudos to you guys, man, who came. Good for you guys, and your wife didn't have to pry you out, and you came. Good for you. Maybe she did. It's okay, all right? But you're here, so we're thankful that you guys are here. And we're continuing in our series. I'm entitled Jesus Uncensored. But just as a quick caveat and preview, um, this will be the last week in our series, and then we're going to hit pause, and then in a couple of weeks, um, we'll jump into Advent, and our Christmas series for Advent is going to be entitled Christmas Carols um, this year, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to be looking at the songs found there. There are particular songs from Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, singing to the angel singing, and I don't know anything that really marks the holiday season other than carols and music, uh, because I was in Walmart around Halloween, and I think they were playing Joy to the World or something like that, and so which some people think should be illegal. I don't know. You know, it's up for debate and stuff. Like that. So it's going to be an exciting time. And again, if you have a family member or a friend who doesn't attend church, maybe is on the fence about Christianity, one of the cool things about the holiday season and about Christmas time is. It's kind of like by default, this stuff starts happening and people start singing songs about Jesus and they don't even know that they are. And so it's a great time to invite someone to church for the holiday season. So I'm really looking forward to that. But as we are in the series, The Sermon on the Mount with Jesus Uncensored, Jesus is at it again today. And he's talking about money. You know, don't get mad at me, just get mad at Jesus, okay? Um, he takes two real, really big sections in the Sermon on the Mount and speaks about money, um, which I think is a significant thing and actually tells a lot about this issue with money. But one of the things that we've been looking at is really the historical impact that the Sermon on the Mount had with early Christianity and the early Christians. I don't know if you remember, about three or four weeks ago, we read an early uh, letter by an early church father talking about how Christians were so generous among and different than the other pagans and people in the Roman culture. Well, today, this is a picture of what's known as the epistle to Diaconus. 
And Diochonus, um, this was written in 130 A.D., which is actually only about 40 or 50 years after the Apostle Paul. And what I love about this is Christianity um, is an historical event. Um, that's one thing that you actually cannot separate. It is not like about fairies, and it is not a myth. This man, Jesus Christ, according to many world religions and Roman history, really lived, really died, and what's really kind of up for debate is if he rose again, and we believe that he did, and there's insurmountable evidence for that. But one of the things that's interesting is looking at the impact for the early Christians that the Sermon on the Mount had. And in this letter, as they are writing to other people who are asking about Christianity, the author of this letter wrote this, and I love these words. We Christians share our table with everyone, but we do not share our bed with everyone. I'm just reading what he said, okay, right? The pagans are stingy with their money and promiscuous with their bodies, But we as Christians are stingy with our bodies and promiscuous with our money. (laughs) I love that, right? That's something good for you at 9 a.m. in the morning. You know what I mean? What I love about that is we see 130 A.D., only 40 years after the Apostle Paul, and we see already that Christians lived differently. Remember what we were talking about, that Jesus says that the kingdom of God is here and now, and in light of that, we are to live differently because our king has come. And there's no more area so great than with finances and generosity. Um, I spoke at a thing with Bright Futures, and there were many pastors and um, uh, you know local people there, and about how the churches can sort of bridge the gap for the school system and help the school systems and things like that. And one of the things that I mentioned was, if you look back upon the history of orphanages, hospitals, non for profits, that's the church. There's no hospital named after Charles Darwin, right? I mean, we're getting after it this morning. You know what I'm saying? But what I mean is this has always been the life of Christians, and this has always been the church's job. And so as we look at this idea of money, and really i got to give credit where credit's due, even for the outline today, if there's one book that I could recommend for you, I'm a fan of Dave Ramsey. He's great. There's a lot of practicality, and there's great stuff in that. But I think what we need more than practicality is theology. And there is a book written by Randy Alcorn, and this is a picture of it, and it's entitled Managing God's Money. It's a biblical guide. It is one of the most thorough, practical resources that I could give you. I borrowed heavily from him in that book, in this message today, but he talks about the theology and really the way in which we view money. So when Jesus talked about it um, in, in the past section, he really talked about how we give, and he sort of broke it down pretty practical for us. But for, day he, but for today, he's challenging the way in which we view money. And if you look at the key verse, it's verse 21. Look at verse 21 in your Bibles. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's it. You need to underline that, circle it in your neighbor's Bible, put a star in the margin for them, dog ear the page for them. That's okay. They need that in their Bible. That's the key verse in the passage for us. And really what you have to understand is in the scriptures, money is neutral. Money's not bad, right? 
First Timothy says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not bad, but there's also an insurmountable warnings in the scripture, and it's neutral. And really, here's the big idea today. Here's the big idea, and this is what you need to understand about your money. Money is a test to see how much I trust God. Plain and simple. Your wallet, your bank account, your purse, that's a test. That's a test to see how much you trust God. You say, Jason, I don't know about that. Well, what Jesus would say is, let me see your bank account. Let me see your checkbook. Are you a hoarder, right? You holding on to that very tightly? Because if you are, what Jesus would say is that's where your heart's at and you don't trust God. Isn't it so funny that us as Christians, we have this language, right? We believe that God created the universe, Oh, that was a good spot for an amen. I'll back up and let you do that again. We believe God created the universe, right? Spoke it into existence. We trust God with our eternal salvation, right? Heaven and hell are on the line, and we trust God. It's who you are. It's who I am. I'm loved by you until the first of the month comes, and I'm super stressed. You know what I mean? It's so crazy that we trust God with all of these things, but when it comes to our money, Somehow we think that that's ours. And and we really need to do a little bit of deconstruction because I think we need to talk about some things that Jesus is not against, okay? Because sometimes I think Jesus gets a bad rap. The first thing that Jesus is not against is innately money. Jesus is not against money in and of itself. Jesus' ministry was funded and actually was funded very well. He's not against money, but what he's against is when your heart is in your bank account. That's what he's challenging today. Secondly, Jesus is not against possessions. Jesus is not against you owning things, okay? And I know I make fun all the time and make fun of boats and things like that. But listen, Jesus is not against that. Praise be to God. Take me out on your boat. I would love that. That'd be a great time, okay? You got a cabin down by the river, thus saith the Lord. Let your pastors use that, okay? You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying what's on the Lord's heart today, okay, right? Listen, he's not against possessions. Here's what Jesus is against. Jesus is not against you owning things. He's against when things own you. Okay? He's not against possessions. And then this, he's not against savings. A lot of people think you shouldn't have a savings account. Well, you clearly haven't read the book of Proverbs where it says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his grandkids. Jesus is not against savings, but lastly, more than anything, I think what people always get confused when it comes to Jesus, church, and money is this. Jesus is not against your enjoyment or your joy. Jesus is for your joy. And all the commands in the Bible when it comes to finances and when God says don't, he actually means don't hurt yourself. That's what he means. Jesus is not against your joy. He is for your joy. So what is he against? What is he getting at in this text? Very simply, Jesus is against greed. He's against greed. Um, famously, Gordon Gecko was actually wrong. Greed is not good in the, famous money, uh, in the famous movie called Wall Street. But what is greed? I think we need to define it. And isn't it so timely that as we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about money and the holidays are coming up? I'll just let that sit there for you today, okay, right? But if we are the people of God and if we are to live differently because Jesus is our king, then that should show in our finances. And what is greed? Greed is this. Greed is the selfish obsession for gain, 
the selfish obsession for gain. More, 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 just a few more dollars in the bank account, then we will be safe. Just another job, just another bid, just another possession, just another this, and then when we build the house, and then when we have the cabin, and then finally when we remodel the kitchen, then I can invite her and her husband over, and they can come see our house and see, you know, I mean, it's always the selfish obsession for gain, and we find our identity wrapped in that. And Jesus tests us really in three areas. He gives three sets of twos, two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. Those are the tests for us today. The first test, two treasures, earthly or heavenly. That's what Jesus is asking you today. That's test number one. Are you, are you putting all the stock on earth or in heaven? Look at the passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Here's really what Jesus is saying is this. All earthly gain is temporary. Temporary. Did you know that actually at the end of the day, you cannot control your finances? Sure, you can. You can plan. You can implement some things. But you can't control it like, I mean, your business could go under. There could be a tragedy that happens. You know, just ask Martha Stewart. I'm just saying, right? I mean, there can be all kinds of things that can happen that are literally outside of your control. And what Jesus is saying is from moth to rust to thieves, all earthly gain is temporary. And we have to understand that. I love the story of uh, John D. Rockefeller. This is a picture of him. Um, If you thought Bill Gates was rich... um, John D. Rockefeller, back in the day, established wealth. And while he was alive, did you know that they actually could not calculate a dollar amount of how much he was worth? So what they did is they calculated it, and in 1937, when he died, his total net worth was 1.5% of the nation's total economic output. They couldn't even calculate dollars. They had to calculate the total economic output for that. But when he died, a reporter asked John D. Rockefeller's financial advisor how much he left behind. And the the financial advisor commented, all of it. That's how much he left behind. I worked at a funeral home for six years as an in-house chaplain, and we never hooked up a U-Haul to the hearse. Never. We never did it one time. And what Jesus is saying is, do you not understand that all earthly gain is temporary? And why are you literally slaving in light of this? Because you're not going to take any of it with you. And it's actually a biblical concept. David says this in the Psalms. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. Here it is. For when he dies, not if, But when he dies, right, you can drink them shakes, you can eat those Wheaties, you can P90 exit, and you will die, right? (laughs) Happy holidays here at Westside. We're glad you're here. (laughs) But when he dies, he will carry nothing away, for his glory will not go down after him. There are two treasures that you're storing up, earthly 
or heavenly. And look at what Jesus counters with it. But lay up, verse 20, for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What does he mean? How do you store up heavenly treasures for yourself? Listen, I believe this sentence right here can change your life, and it's this. Kingdom obedience is the greatest investment that you can ever make in your life. Kingdom obedience. You make an investment into the kingdom of God and it will return with a payoff. When you invest in people's lives, do you know what's fascinating? I had a conversation with a dear friend this week who drove down and I was talking about my sermon and he's very wise and has been blessed financially. And he said, I've always been told that you can never take anything to heaven with you, sort of what I just said. And he said, but think about this. When we invest in people like our kids, our spouses, our friends, our family members, and our loved ones, and we share the gospel with them, they'll be in heaven with us. And actually, we can take our children and our family members and our friends to heaven with us. That's a profound thought when you think about it. Kingdom obedience is the greatest investment that you can ever make in your life. How much do you trust God? Well, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And I can just ask you this. How much are you investing into God's kingdom or your earthly kingdom as shown by your bank account? Money is a test to see how much I actually trust God. The second thing is this. The second test is how we view um, money. Two eyes, a good eye and a bad eye. Right? Two treasures, earthly and heavenly, that's a test. And then how do you view it? How do you look at money? And then he says this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. As I was doing research for this, you know what's interesting? It's flu season right now. So wash your hands before you shake my hand out there in that lobby, bro. I'm just saying, I love you in Jesus' name, but I got three babies at home, okay? Don't be hacking all on me, all right? It's flu season, but do you know how the flu enters into your body? It's one of three ways, through the nose, through the mouth, or through the eye, rubbing the eye. I thought that was really interesting, like Jesus was talking about like, like health issues, literally. But here's what he's breaking down. Literally, an optometrist would tell you this. You're in this room right now, and there's all kinds of light. And what your eye is doing, if you have a good eye, is your eye is allowing in the light. That's why you can see and sometimes at night, if you have trouble driving because the, the uh, car lights that flash, your eyes have a tough time letting in a certain amount of light or things like that. But what Jesus is also saying is, you can have your eyes wide open in a room full of light and you see nothing but darkness because your eyes aren't working properly. And what Jesus is saying is the way that we view this determines a lot. And actually, when he says, if your eye is healthy, you know how we can actually transliterate that? Generous. It's the same word in the New Testament used for generous. Interesting. Jesus says, if your eye is generous, then your whole body will be healthy. But if your eye is not generous, then you are filled with darkness. Here's what Jesus is warning against money. Money has the power to blind you of its power. That's dangerous, right? Because here's the deal. 
money can actually meet felt needs, right? Like I've never seen somebody sad who was on a yacht with a big bag of cash, right? I never saw them with a frown on their face, okay? Like there are real things that this can do, but what money does is it's so powerful that it has the power to blind you of the very power that it has over your life. That's why you need to be living in community and you need to be having people challenging you about the way you view and use your money. When I was gathering the sermon, and this is just the way that my mind works, I remembered a scene from this famous movie called The Mummy. And it's just a fun, cheesy uh, flick about over in Egypt, they find treasure and the mummy comes to life. But there's one guy in the movie who is obsessed about finding the king's treasure. And that's the guy named Benny. And he's just sly and you can't trust him. And he doesn't care about anybody else but himself. And at the end of the movie, they actually find the mummy's treasure. And it's this room just full of gold and it's packed out. And as they're leaving, the doors start to close on the temple. And Benny is literally stuffing his pockets with all of this treasure. He's actually dragging an entire gold statue behind him. But as the doors are closing, the last scene shows Benny. And he's got this torch. And the doors close because he couldn't make it to the door in time. Because he was weighing himself down with all of this treasure. And the last scene that you see Benny in the movie is he's holding his torch. And the torch goes out. And he's there in the darkness. And he dies with all of the treasure there in the room. Till his heart is content. He's literally in a room full of gold and he dies. Why? Because of this way that he viewed it. He thought that he had to have this and it affected his life. And here's the sentence. A distorted view of money will destroy your life. A distorted view of money will destroy your life. Money is a test to determine how much I trust God. Two treasures, earthly or heavenly, two views, two eyes, the way that I view this, a good eye and a bad eye, and then lastly, this, two masters. Jesus just breaks it down like Legos for us. God or money, that's it. That's all you got. It's not like, well, I'm struggling and I'm trying not to. Nope, nope, nope. You are either serving your money like a slave like it's your master or you are serving God. And look at what he says there in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Do you know what I love about this? The word serve there is in the present tense, which means this. It's not a matter of if you are serving, but what you are serving in your life. Did you know that? Maybe you're on the fence of Christianity and you're kind of peering over and you're looking and you're like, I don't serve nobody. Oh, captain, my captain. I'm the captain of my fate and my own soul. Actually not. You're serving someone. It's just yourself. Everybody is serving something in their life. And what Jesus says is it's cut and dry. You're either serving God or you're serving money. And there's only two ways that we can view this to determine what we're serving. The first way that you can view money is this, as an owner. And when you're an owner, you say that money is a treasure to serve me. Money is a treasure to serve me and my family. 
and I'm going to get what I need to get. I'm going to work the hours that I need to work, and I'm going to slave at this thing because I am owed this and because I've worked hard at this and because I determined this. But you know what's interesting? I love how the scriptures always correct us. The psalmist says, or Job, actually, it's so great. Job was a guy in the Bible that had all this stuff happen to him. And if you've ever thought of a moment like, well, when I get, like, there's people that actually tell me this. When I I get up in heaven, I'm going to say a few things to the big man upstairs. (laughs) I got a few things to tell him. And you know what? I don't want to be anywhere around when that goes down, bro. Because that is just not going to go well for you. You know what I mean? And we actually have a book of the Bible as to we know what that looks like when someone did that. And Job actually in this chapter tries to tell God off. And God starts the chapter with, Who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? If somebody called me and told me that on the phone, I would hang up. I would freak out. Like I would feel like I was in a horror movie. And God tells Job this, Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I love that. Everything under heaven belongs to me. Mama, those babies are not yours. Those babies first and foremost belong to the Lord. That house, that car, that money in the bank account, you do not own. God owns that money. And as I was studying this this week, I know what some of you are saying, but I'm the one who worked hard for that money, and I'm an entrepreneur, and I started my business from the ground up. Great, we'll give you a cookie after service, okay? But do you know what I found out in the scriptures when I was studying this this week? That your ability to even make that money, God owns that. Look at what he says here in Deuteronomy. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That's fantastic, man. So yes, some of you are entrepreneurs. Some of you have a business. Some of you can get, I mean, a dollar and make $25 out of it. Fantastic. That's awesome. But even your ability to do that is not your own. God has given you that ability so you can expand his kingdom and serve him. So there's only two ways, either an owner or the second way, a steward, a steward. And you view money this way. Money is a tool to serve God. Did you know that? You're a steward. I'll never forget when Courtney and I were Uh, purchasing our first home together. And there was a couple there and um, we rented for a year before that so we could get our finances in order. And um, I had to call because we wanted to paint a room and a nursery and everything like that. So I called the owner of the house and said, hey, we're looking at painting a nursery and kind of hanging some things and doing that stuff. And they said, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, Why did I need to call? That ain't mine. I can't be go slapping paint and blowing out walls at that house. It ain't mine yet. So why do you think you can use your money any way that you want to? It's not yours. God has given you this money so that you can steward it. And listen, if you think for a second, if you had more money, that your problems would go away, I'll defer to the great theologian Biggie Smalls. Mo money, mo problems. Okay? That has nothing to do with it. Listen, it's not how much 
or how little. Listen, it's about the contentment of your heart. And where your heart is, that is where your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. And what Jesus is saying is it's not about how much, it's not about how little, it's how do you view this thing? And so I could just pray in the sermon right now, we would all leave super convicted about our money, and maybe we should have done the offering after the sermon, I don't know, and maybe things would have changed, you know? But we always have to end with the gospel. How interesting is it that Jesus says, if your eye is generous, he uses the word generous. You don't have this point in your bulletin, but there's three sets of twos, right? Two treasures, two masters, two kingdoms, two eyes. But there's one savior, Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus said seven statements when he was crucified upon the cross? And the last statement that he said in John's gospel John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Oh, I love that John said that he gave up his spirit because nobody takes his life, but he lays it down at the will of the Father. And it was at that right time. And somehow in God's sovereignty, I can't understand in the cosmos and in the universe, when we look at all of time, space, and history, it was at that perfect time that Jesus Christ died and And when he died, he killed death and he said the statement, it is finished. But you know what I love about that statement is that it's a secular term. It's a Greek term. And that in banks and owners, when you had a bill that was paid, they would stamp red at the top of that bill, this Greek word, tekelesia, which means paid in full. Paid in full. And listen to me, there is nothing else that needs to be done to pay for my sin or for yours. When Jesus Christ died upon that cross, he said it is finished and it is paid in full. And how do you know that I know that? Because three days later, the check cleared because the grave is empty and the throne is occupied. And the book of Colossians says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and that my life is now hidden in Christ with God. God. Westside, that's good news this morning. Come on. That is good news. And this is the motivation for our money. How can we dare say, this is mine, when Jesus Christ left the very riches of heaven itself? Bill Gates is wealthy. Steve Jobs is wealthy. Mr. Rockefeller is wealthy, but you know what? They don't have angels singing their praises. And Jesus Christ has all of creation singing his praises, and he set it aside for you and for me. What will change your money is the very simple sentence, paid in full. Money's a test to determine how much you trust God. As the band comes up and leads us in a time of response, I want you to listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians. How should we handle our money? Look at the way that Jesus handled his wealth. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How did Jesus use his wealth? He simply gave it away for others. And if you want deep satisfaction in your life, Become a generous person. And the only way that you can release that grip on money is to know that Jesus Christ released the grip on his so he could embrace you. You can't hug Christ while clinging on to something else in your hand. You have to let go and fully embrace him. In just a moment, we'll get to come to the tables and see the body broken and the blood shed. And Westside, let me ask you, and you come to this table, what do you lack? You lack nothing, because if you have Christ, you have everything. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Holy Spirit, convict us where we need convicting, for we need a correct view of this. Comfort us where we need comforting, knowing that your grace empowers us for this. And as we come to this table, may we repent of our sin and release our grip Grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. Money is a test to determine how much we love you. And may we give it all to you because you own it anyway. We pray this in the mighty and in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.